0: Welcome to The Nest Show, the podcast that brings you insights into the crypto market, trading and investment experiences, and what we're looking forward to as we navigate the space together. Before we get started with the show, I want to thank our friends and sponsors over at PrimeXPT, where many of our listeners have already signed up to trade by visiting theburbnest.com slash PrimeXPT. PrimeXBT is the most powerful trading platform offering immediate access to over 30 assets. Users may trade cryptocurrencies, Forex, commodities, stock indices, and much more, all from a single Bitcoin-settled account. Ferum Network is an interoperable DeFi ecosystem offering token presales, staking as a service, project incubation, and much more visit the slash Ferum. And now for the show, What The Nest Show Is. This is a podcast brought to you by the Burb Nest community, an independent crypto and forex-centered trading community built to sharpen each other in capturing opportunities in the markets while protecting capital along the way. What this is not trading advice. We are not financial advisors, and you should not regard any information here or in the Nest Club as financial advice. You should always consult a licensed financial advisor before making any financial decisions.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Adrian, Cryptoverse here, and uh, welcome to today's very special episode of the Nest Show podcast. And this is a very special episode because we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, and I already feel honored and super happy about him joining this, the show because that's something that is not usually very typical as far as I recall. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, our amazing guest, the VIP legendary uh, idol, whom I really look up to for a long time already, uh, Bob Lucas. Welcome to the show and how is it going, Bob?
2: Well, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate that uh, the introduction. Certainly, I think, not worthy. But uh, I do appreciate that. I'm really happy to be on here with you today.
1: Awesome, amazing, amazing, and uh, you know, Bob, you are you are the trader. You're an entrepreneur. You're an investor. You're uh, especially in when it comes to to Bitcoin and commodities. For what I know already, uh, you are a commodity to Bitcoin life. You are also the uh, well-known um, head. You know, for the financial tap, right? Right, you are the, the the running running the service. Is that is that right? Could you could you tell me a little bit more about the financial tap? Yeah, the
2: financial tap is really how I got started, sort of publicly. I mean, it, it all kind of started by accident, to be honest with you. It was about about ten years ago. I, I was very involved with gold. I always, always have been involved with gold. I, it's one of my favorite sort of uh, assets to to invest in and trade. But I was very involved in a number of forums back in sort of 2008, 2009, when gold was in its secular bull market and doing really well. And, you know, I was commenting on some sort of private forums and a lot of people just seemed to ask me a lot of questions. Maybe it was the content I was providing. And it just grew from from people asking and asking from, to me actually just producing like this mini PDF letter on the gold market. And it was just something I just enjoyed doing. It was kind of part of my Uh, Own research and analysis. And then I started sharing that in these communities to people that I would ask. And then all of a sudden, I had a lot of people just reach out through through friends of friends who had heard about the letter. And it just really grew rapidly and organically to this thing where at one point, I was 3,000 people on a list that I had created. And I didn't really have any intentions at that point. It was just something I was producing and sharing. And then it just naturally evolved into a blog. And then from there, people were like, hey, you know, you should, you should be charging for this information. And it never really occurred to me at that point. But I said, well, hey, you know, if if thousands of people or hundreds of people like this content and are willing to pay for it, then hey, why not, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's hopefully valuable information for them. So I started doing that. And that was almost 10 years ago now where the Financial Tap has been running as a weekly letter, mostly covering the equity markets and the precious metals, crude oil, the dollar, for example. You know, and it's just been a forum for me to express my thoughts, my views on the market on a, on a running basis, and just really share my approach to trading and investing, what I'm doing at any given time, and then just help people in general. I mean, it's not it's not a get rich scheme kind of letter. It's just simply how to trade and invest in a logical, risk sort of risk defined manner. And it's just been, I think it's been pretty successful in, in its uh, you know in its ten years since it launched.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Big congratulations. I mean, 10 years is definitely like a big, big, you know, just milestone, big, big uh, number to celebrate. So I'm very happy, actually, for your success. And, uh, you know, I'm very happy for a couple of reasons that you are today on the show. Uh, but those reasons are are very personal to me, you know, because uh, you've always been the the person whom I always looked up to, you know, uh, regarding, you know, the, you uh, know, the financial markets reading, you know, you are mm-hmm. very well known for uh, for what is unique in the sphere, for the actual cycle analysis, or the uh, cycle theory sort of like application, and as we both know, this is probably the the trickiest of them all. This is probably the trickiest, you know, section, the field of the technical analysis of the market reading. Uh, whenever it whenever it touches, you know, upon the time, whenever it tries to find some actual structure within the time cycles. Well, that's how things are getting uh pretty much like you know just difficult in my opinion right um so before we sort of like dive into the full uh full fuller details of uh, behind your market reading skills before your uh your sort of like a favorite uh principles that you use as an analyst and as a trader uh I get a question from you for you uh to start with. Does technical analysis work at all, in your opinion?
2: Um, of course, it absolutely does. Um, I, I think the problem is that it doesn't, it's not in the sense that everyone believes or expects. And what I mean by that is I think people spend, they spend far too much time researching technical analysis, looking for charts, for example, and not enough on the aspects that really matter most in the end, which is, you know, for example, trade and risk management. Uh, or my favorite element, which is really the psychology or the human mind or the emotions um, behind that. So, I don't think you could view technical analysis in isolation alone to judge whether or not it works or not, because if you if you use or judge it by that one simple element, which is, for example, a pattern or whatever analysis you're using alone, um, then you know it's it's open to failure easily, okay? so, um, so, but regarding technical analysis more specifically, I think you know, most people believe there's a magic formula out there or a crystal ball, you know, waiting to be found or discovered. And they they look at it from that, I and mean, that's really not the reality. Um, you know, a lot of noobs on Twitter, for example, will, you know, somebody will post something and, and it fails, right? You'll, you you may post uh, a head and shoulders pattern that fails. And then automatically everyone's like, ah, look, you know, technical analysis sucks, it doesn't work. <laughs> but, you know, and, and that doesn't give it any justice because technical analysis in the end, like any sort of strategy, really is only designed to, to give you an edge. You know, it's a tool to, to give you a slight edge on the market. Um, but more importantly, further to that, um, it, it's really a tool to identify not so much a winning trade versus a losing trade. But to find opportunities that have a very skewed outcome, right? So uh, you can think of it like tossing a coin, for example, where it's 50-50. You know, so you, know, you, you, you get it right, you win one. You get it wrong, you lose one. But in technical analysis, the goal really is to be happy with a 50-50 type outcome but to have a situation where if you lose, you lose one, but if you win, you win three, right? And that's kind of the whole risk-reward concept and principle. But people, they kind of lose that idea. And they, you know, they just think that, well, it didn't work out, so it must have failed. It's wrong. And I think people get hung up way too much on that aspect of technical analysis and not understanding truly what its design is for.
1: Yeah, there must be... Uh, I couldn't agree more in the first place. But that might be one of the cleanest and the clearest explanation behind TA I've, I've heard in years. You know, so uh, definitely well done. And you know, I can I can completely agree and, re- and relate to, to what you're saying. Now that I'm getting certified as well as the, you know, uh, as the committee to this uh, to this Charter Market Technician Association as well, uh, I'm actually you know on my way to get a CMT free, which is sort of like the final destination. That's a, great, that's a lot of I appreciate work. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's a lot of work, you know, but many people ask me like, why, why do you even do that? Like, what's the point to it? I mean, and then I just realize, you know, that the further and deeper I go, the better understanding of the market holistically I do have, you know, right. and that's exactly the sort of like switch from this, uh, you know, new, new point of view that I had, you know, years ago, years back. When I would expect a simple symbol, symbol like a like a, I draw a line in the chart and then I expect the entire world to to relate to that and I expect the entire right. world to listen, you know, and see what I what I put in the chart. Like the truth is nobody fucking cares about it, right? And those trend lines, you know, trend lines are just the lines that show the trend direction, nothing else. And occasionally people tend to place their supports and resistances sort of like anticipations, the bids and asks, you know, around that. That's it, right? So there is right. nothing really magical or sorcery in that, as many people would expect. Just like you perfectly uh, mentioned, but uh, the TA completely agree is supposed to give you uh, the edge, right? And right. Uh, well, while while this actual sort of like, you know, coin tossing, you know, this is more of a random walk when, uh, when this is, uh, you know, just kind of like a 50-50 chances. I remember... Having this uh, this conversation, which is important and, and significant and intriguing, with a professor at the University of, 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 um, of economics in my in my country in my town uh, and he was like, "Technical analysis doesn't work because it has fifty percent chances it goes up or down
2: mm-hmm. right right
1: right and I was like okay <laughs> Doing <Dude laughs> really is a professor but he really has no clue about what he's just saying right 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 and uh like this would negate the entire existence of trends and cycles but the trends and cycles they do exist and apparently uh, based on the scientific research and the statistics and the actual well practice statist- uh, the technical analysis actually can give you the edge and can make you profitable and make your uh, profitability at a better rate at the entire market you know for the index performance, for example, is right, right. To give you the edge right. of an of the market absolutely but I'm, I'm, I'm you know with, with all that said, you know you, we as traders, we always need to uh, pretty much like search for for an hour for our own edge for what makes us better than the rest of the market, right Yes, what makes right. us read the markets the, the better, faster, and react to that better and faster and in your very case, it does seem to me that a big participation in, in that edge, you know, comes from the cycle theory. Is right. that correct? Could you shed some, some more light on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think you touched on a very important point. Uh, I get the question. And before I go to cycles, I'll just mention something around strategies that work for people. Strategies in general, uh, regardless of what that strategy might be, I find is very personal. And people resonate personally with certain strategies and don't with others. And I get the question a lot. Well, you know, what what should I read about cycles? Or what should I read about this or that? And, you know, what should I learn? And and I always say, just try and get a a broad sense for all the sort of strategies that are out there. And and try and um, work out what you understand best. And what resonates with you. And what you kind of get. Because in the end... It's it's almost like an artistic form in some ways where it, you have to like it and you have to feel it and sense it to appreciate it and to study it and to do well in it. And for Cycles, that was for me, right? Uh, when I discovered Cycles, uh, Walter Brasseur in the 2000s decade there, it just made sense to me. It just made a lot of sense. And I just loved the concept behind it and and the reading of it. And I took to it for that reason, right? And I mean, I think again, back to your point, you can be successful with almost any strategy, as long as you adhere to it and you follow the fundamental rules of that strategy. And again, before I touch on cycles, one other point about sort of analysis in general, you know, you have to take the good and the bad. I mean, some strategies will work best in different environments and they won't work too well in other environments. And if you just take a broad stroke and say, well, it's always got to work in every environment, then you're setting yourself up for for failure, right? You have to know where your strategy is, what is good and works well. And then those environments, you push the pedal to the metal and you, and you trade it aggressively and confidently. And then in an environment when you know, your type of strategy is weaker you have to pull back and you have to acknowledge and you have to appreciate that now is not the best time in this given environment where my strategy is going to do well. And you have to acknowledge that. And I think that's very important. But with cycles, and like cycles, for example, have certain certain times and points when they are weak and they're not clear. And if you try and force your understanding of where we are in a certain cycle or what a cycle might be doing in an environment like that, you're setting yourself up for consistent, possibly losses and failure. But when an environment is trending really well and the cycles are clear, which means the pattern of um, time and price and sentiment really align well, and you see that sort of in Bitcoin, when what Bitcoin's doing right now, for example, what gold did from August of 2018 to 2020, or what gold did in sort of the, the decade of uh, the 2000s, when you see clear bullish cycles occurring, then they work really, really well in general. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if that really answers your question specifically on cycles, but um, that's something, you know, that's just how I gravitated towards those is something that made a lot of sense. But, you know, cycles in general, if you want a little bit more of a background on those, you know, they really represent sentiment, right? Sentiment over time. And they represent kind of the collective ecosystem of an asset class, it's participants. It's participants almost collectively, that's like a network effect. And they have, you know, they have swings in sentiment. And that swing and sentiment is repetitive over time, kind of like the seasons, right? And, and, you know, interstellar and planetary movements, they work on cycles, they're predictable, they're not always perfect, but they can be very predictable. And, and their ebbs and their flows um, over time, if you can identify them and see the patterns, they give you a predictive edge in the future where you can say, okay, well, we've had this last few cycles have been like this. Then there's a good chance the next one will be like that. Of course. So, identify- so what, you
1: try- what you are trying to say is that you're reading horoscopes and you're tra- you base your trades based that. On- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes knew- a lot of
2: the stuff is, yeah, right. Uh, you know, look, I, I, Actually, there are some people that that make some money on uh, on the astrology and, and so on. I know, you know I've seen I, it. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not for me, but uh, you know, like Again, there there are strategies that work as long as you can adhere to the principles. Uh, and and cycle theory certainly has some principles, but cycle theory is also open up to open to a lot of interpretation, a little bit like Elliott Wave, although Elliott Wave is a little more hard count based. Um, Cycles, you know, it's, it's like sitting on the ocean or sitting by the beach and looking at the waves roll in, right? And, and for, for 20 minutes, you'll see waves come in at a sort of very low frequency, maybe, or, or just, you know, half a foot, one foot waves. And all of a sudden, you'll get a patch of an hour of high waves. So the, the, the preceding wave is an indicator of the, of the wave to come. But what happened an hour or two hours ago may not be. Right, or if there's a storm that's coming and the storm's going to last for four hours, then for four hours you're going to see a series of small, uh, larger, larger waves come through. So if you understand what the larger or the longer wave cycles are doing, in which direction they're trending, then you can start breaking it down to lower time frames and start to predict that those waves will mirror the longer waves and the longer cycles. So it's understanding where you where you stand, kind of in a secular trend, and then breaking it down from there. So if you're in a secular bull market. Then you know the lower time frame cycles are most likely going to be what we call right translated and they're going to be rising cycles and in the bear market's the same it's the opposite you know in a declining market you get these pumps they're very short-lived they're normally just regressions back to a mean or declining mean and then you get the majority of the cycle turning over and moving the lower before the, below the prior cycle and it's just this repetitive cycle and this repetitive nature. Of course, every cycle, longer cycle comes to an end at some point. And that's where, um, you know, it's sometimes difficult to predict. When does a longer cycle come to an end? Because when it does come to an end, you're looking potentially at a full reversal. When a bear market ends and you start a new bull market, then it kind of flips on itself. And that's where maybe it can become a little challenging.
1: Yeah. I think I think you you, well... Damn, I, I didn't want to interrupt because you 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 depict all of that, you know, in such a, in such a beautiful and passionate way that it's actually very pleasant to hear you talk about it. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I, I can easily you. tell that you are. I can yeah. tell that you are very inspired about it. Well, I warned you I would ramble on a little bit, so you have to interrupt uh, if no I way, if I go on too
2: much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no way, mate. That's that's definitely. Uh, big big stuff that you are talking about, and you know regarding the cycle theory, you know there are a couple of sort of like main principles, like the overall cyclicality, you know that it exists that the financial markets, you know, they compose of they're composed of cycles, or the harmonicity, you know that you would see uh, many many sort of like different bigger and smaller cycles being very often like multiply multiplications, you know, of 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 twos and threes of the sizes of 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 those cycles. You see also the summation. Uh, sort of like a principle that all those uh cycles you know the smaller cycles and the bigger cycles they tend to summate you know and they tend to present you with some composite waves uh or the synchronicity you know that that, that the biggest biggest markets sort of like uh, movements the biggest uh, swings the bear markets bull markets the secular bull markets bear markets they all happen uh instead sort of like in tandem for those uh, sort of like you know small smaller cycles uh just like proportionality, nominality, the variation, you know, that, uh, for example, all the markets would never be perfect and ideal, right? Surprise to many people. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, because everybody would perfectly, you know, just always anticipate the perfection and ideals uh, in the world, but they never come, right? Which is often a big, big surprise uh, on the negative aspect. But all of those cycle principles, I got to be honest with you. Um, it's extremely... Um, intriguing and impressive to what extent they actually work you know this uh this set of like like you said the be the seasonality effect or the actual sort of like a sentiment fluctuations over the years and across all the time frames that's sort of like what we call the fractal nature for those who are listening and and are new here to the show uh it just makes it so impressive you know it is like a Element of a big puzzle that when when you match the cycle analysis, when you match the cycle theory into your overall market rating, all of a sudden, this makes it a complete sort of like a you know complete puzzle solved. And um, I just very quickly want to touch upon that because I believe that's what's going to matter very much right now in the next months and years uh, about the commodity cycles. Uh, I'm referring to to an actual chart. I can actually just display that very quickly. Um, sure. I'm I'm re- I'm actually corresponding. Uh, I'm referring to the to the commodity chart, to the commodity index, Bloomberg commodity index. Right. Uh, for those who are actually again uh, just less, let's say, acquainted with uh, with the technical analysis itself, we are looking at the actual fifty-month average in here and the price uh, price action. You know, for for the futures index, sorry, for the index futures for the Bloomberg commodity index. Now we are seeing uh that the price breaking out on a monthly scale on the monthly time frame above the fifty month average. so like we like it or not, in my opinion, it looks like a start of a very beautiful journey and start to come within the next couple of years. Right. What do you think about commodities for the next yeah. years?
2: Well. You know, I, I thought back in 16, when you look at that low, we were probably looking at the start of a new cycle, a new secular cycle in commodities. I don't track um, any of the, real, of the commodities from a cycle standpoint. I just uh, I tend to focus on three or four very specific cycles and just trade those as to my best of my ability. But um, I definitely think we are well overdue or the start of a new commodity cycle, a bull commodity cycle. There's no doubt about that. Um, as well as uh, some emerging markets as well, which could kind of go hand in hand to some extent with uh, the commodity, commodity cycle. Um, you know, But you know, we don't have that confirmation just yet. I think you're starting to see some of that early sign there, possibly sort of a final shakeout there in 2020 um, before beginning higher. But absolutely would agree with you. We are probably well overdue for that. Um, now, of course, uh, a lot of outside factors and, and influences as well uh, in financial markets, but I think we're definitely, I, I think you're on the right track there with that and would agree.
1: Awesome. I mean, you know, the commodities are actually very much correlated with, with the dollar, right, and with the overall monetary policy from uh, from the Fed, of course, you know, yep. from, from, the, from the global uh, government sort of like as well, because the truth is that all of the commodities sort of like markets uh, across all the planet you know they all sort of like work in the same direction all of the markets they tend to move globally right this is sort of like one of the principles of the intermarket analysis which tells you that all of the markets across the planet be it for the equities for the stocks for the commodities for the you know interest rates uh inflation and so on those those are the global secular trends to some extent and commodities are strongly correlated with uh Strongly combined, you know, they are strongly correlated with the inflation, with the dollar strength as well. In between, and um, what information do you think, you know, the potential commodity uh, sort of like a breakout in future may may bring for the for the inflation for for the equities? Like, what would you say if you if that's not a uh, not a secret, of course? Uh, what would you say is you know is the future within the next couple of years going to look like? Uh, re- uh, regarding commodities, equities, the you know the uh, the interest rates, perhaps as well. Yeah, I mean, I have I,
2: I have my views on on equities. I can definitely share a lot on that. In terms of commodities, you know, I think a lot of these assets these hard assets that take you know significant investment to pull out of the ground and to mine. I mean, I think I think a lot of them. Uh, significantly undervalued. And, and I think, as you point out, uh, probably now in the early stages of the next sort of cycle. Um, we also though have uh, you know, globalization that's playing a major role in keeping sort of prices down in general. So, uh, and also the sort of innovation as well. Uh, you know, being able to to extract cheaper or finding uh, more richer sources here and there across all the commodity space, I think, is keeping, to some extent, sort of prices sort of compressed a little bit here. Um, but I think that is, um, you know, I, I think rural inflation is still a thing, and you're going to start to see that reflected in commodity prices overall. Uh, I mean, we're looking at crude oil already up into towards $60 a barrel now, Um Copper is also making some significant moves. So we're starting to see that now across the board. I think uh, it's, it's, again, it's the start of a new sort of secular wave that's, uh, that's coming on board. Um, now stocks, equities, um, you know, that's, that's a tough one because we really are 12 years into a pretty significant sort of secular bull market and uh, more so in the US than I think in a lot of other places. I think emerging markets are gonna be a great place if you're patient. I mean, that that's something I've been looking at for four to five years. It hasn't really moved yet. It's kind of been sitting at that 10-year level where it wants to break out and sort of start a new trend. And I think it will for those who are, who are very patient. But the S&P, for example, or the, or the NASDAQ, of course, the Q's, um, secular bull market that, you know by any stretch or historically valuation wise seems very high uh it seems like fundamentals don't really matter anymore and fundamentals generally don't matter in a second towards the tail end of a secular bull market right we we tend you to you sound, you sound
1: like you sound like dave portner right now <laughs>
2: right <laughs> yeah i'm not sure about uh if i believe a lot of the principles i mean he's obviously a speculator and and he yeah. trades price he trades price which is really the way to look at it and i agree Uh, look, the the show will end at some point. um, And there'll be a rush for the exits. And we've had many of those. And you can see on the chart that you're showing right now, we get these 20 and 30% swings, but the market quickly retraces and continues that trend. So the secular trend is still up. And if you look over the last 100 years, we do see bull markets typically go to 16 to 18 years. Uh, before a peak. And we're around 12 or 13 years into this one with a very accommodating Fed. Interest rates play a pretty big role in uh, you know, the equity markets, right? I mean, being able to access capital at very low rates um, is obviously very beneficial. And, and not only in the US, but worldwide, the accommodating nature of fiscal policy is significantly flooding the market with, with cash. Uh, demand, artificially pumping up demand. I mean, all these stimulus checks Right, they're going straight to Walmart. They're going straight to Home Depot or People's Vacations, wherever you want to, whatever you want to call it, which is obviously flowing back into the markets, um, and that's goosing the markets up. And this is what's driving these markets. Uh, you know, so I think the best way to view equity markets is not from a fear perspective, which keeps people sidelined and away from the markets out of fear. But just simply to say, look at the trend. I mean, look at the price. It, you know, if you sat here in 2013, 14, 15, 16, worried about the overvaluation or worried about a crash, then yeah, you've missed it. we really want to short that, right? Right. I mean, I mean, shorting, you know, I mean, shorting obviously is just I mean, shorting this bull market is just simply just ridiculous. I mean, there's not, not, no, yeah. There's just not, yeah. I mean, that's just like, yeah, you know, just might as well just piss away your money, right? Um, but, but being out of the market as well is, you know, is that opportunity cost sitting in something else, uh, when you have this opportunity ahead, um, of course it will turn and there will be opportunities to identify a bear market and you'll have to give up the top 30 or 40% of that move maybe, right. Or maybe not that much, of course, but you'll have to give up, you know, some of that to identify it. But when you've got a trend like this, you have to, and this is where I like cycles, where if the trend is cycling if it's cycling in one direction, then there's a pretty good chance the next one's going to be the same, right? And at some point it will turn on you, but um, preceding action and the direction of the market and the trend is almost always a very good indicator of where the market is going and wants to go in the future. And again, you know, you have to put that fear aside and you have to have a little bit of faith. And of course you have to, you know, you have to adhere to, to risk management principles. You know, if you if you leverage yourself up and you option yourself up, then of course, you know, any any swing short or intermediate can, can really throw you off. But overall, if you keep it reasonable and allocated, you should do well. And I think that's going to continue in the equity market for a little longer. I think a lot of this decade still might be a massive, massive sort of big blow off um, in, in the equity markets in general. I think that's still very possible.
1: Yeah, I think that you you shared, you know, uh, you shared what many people hate to hear because (laughs) apparently shorting is just one big scam in the stock market, right? And uh, let's actually just give and give a very quick launch, you know, to the simple moving average, let's say 200, right? The simplest way for for those uh, who are listening and and, and viewing the chart, actually, as I am right now, uh, the simplest way to decide about the trend direction is to analyze the, the price on the average. Well, so you can pull up the, you know, MA 200, the simple MA 200, and it's yeah. going to tell you 200 weeks on average, price is increasing, right? Within the, well, since the very sort of like uh, 2012. So that's the main information. And the question is, do we really want to concentrate the trend, right? Do we really want to short it? Knowing that shorts itself, you know, on the stocks, well, shorts provide you with limited downside. On the opposite edge, you know to on the opposite sort of like a side to to the longs, which provide the unlimited upside in theory. And now that you know that you know the the governments are on the side of uh, of the people who long, actually, right? They keep printing money, they keep pretty much like flooding the market with the with the money, the helicopter money. Uh, you know there is, of course, this sort of like uh, a case of money velocity. You know the M two money aggregate aggregate velocity, for example, within the market that is still has to do with, with the inflation control, but uh, betting against stocks right now is is betting against the governments and the bank and, and against the banks who are printing money on demand, so it right. could never work well simply in the longer period, right? Right. It's, it's sort of like destined for for for, for the loss. Uh, and yeah, again, and- just yeah. Go ahead. No,
2: I mean, you know, you're touching on a point where why short. I, I think when people short something like, like equity markets and and, stock and a stock and a bull market of this nature, they're not really looking to profit from a short. They're trying to uh, kind of validate, you know, a narrative that they've developed in their mind, um, whether it's uh, some type of conspiracy or some type of um uh you know, or, 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 you, know or, or, you know you or, or just they're taking these sort of old fundamental principles and kind of just making these you know forming these narratives that the market should be doing something and they just i think they're just trying to reinforce that they can be right on something and that's this tendency for novice investors and traders to look for picking sort of picking bottoms in you know, in a bear market or picking tops in, in a bull market there there's a sense of sort of worth or accomplishment maybe by being able to pick something like that, um, which obviously doesn't work all that often. Sometimes it does and it feels great, apparently, you know, and maybe there's some clout to be had from doing that. But uh, in principle, um, picking a reversal in the market that has given you no reason from a, from a price action perspective to believe that um, is, is really a losing proposition. And I think people just are drawn to, to wanting to do that, but you know, it doesn't really work too well in the end.
1: Yeah, and on top of it, you know, whenever whenever they are wrong, they would just, they can just admit that technical analysis doesn't work. So they are covered one way or another. <laughs> right. Right. So so they they don't need to worry about it. Um, you know, I'm talking about the uh, speaking speaking of the betting against the events the had speaking about you know finding the tape as they say. Um, you know, we. We have been looking, you know, for some time at the actual impacts and the effects of uh, having the largest ever sort of like uh, uh, just increase over the money stock uh, just being poured into the market, right? By, by the government, of course. Uh, by I mean by the Fed, uh, but here you know it just tells you that about thirty percent. I cannot recall the exact uh, the exact number, like twenty twenty seven or thirty percent between those. Now, of the entire ever printed money, you know, was, was printed actually now uh, by with, uh, within 2020 alone. And we as traders, we as analysts, we always need to pay the biggest attention towards actually the biggest, right? Because this brings the biggest sort of like uh, impact, uh, the biggest weight, of course, and the biggest significance. So, speaking of it, I think it just tells us a lot about the overall direction for the next couple of years. Now regarding the uh, the uh, overall sort of like inflationary uh I should say anticipation or plans, you know, uh and it just sends a clear message to me, you know there's uh of course, there is no doubt that most of the people don't really know what's going on on the planet, right? They don't know what's going on in the finance because as long as they check they, they get the you know thousand dollar check or, or the stimulus, they are fine because they get it. But nobody ever wonders. Uh, whether or not this check is worth the same as it used to be, for example, as it used to be worth you know one year ago, and apparently right. over the time those checks you know decrease in, in the real value because of the inflation, right? And uh, and this inflation is like a hidden tax very often that we pay unconsciously. And uh, speaking of the next years, because this this as I said this this market reading tells us about the about the potential sort of like Fed. Uh, ideas of, uh, of of you know what the monetary policy is going to look like that is going to be very easy. That uh, Joe Biden already said and admitted that you know they are going to pretty much like print as much money as they need. Uh, and what does it tell us for for the next years? Like, what is the sort of like plan of Bob Lucas to prepare and to prevent from uh, from losses for the next years?
2: Well, I mean, what it does say is that we're we're in a uh, secular environment now where the powers to be cannot allow can allow this to fail, right? Um, and, and asset prices are a big part of uh, personal wealth, and they need to protect that as much as possible. And there's also the concept of MMT. You know, you've got universal basic income kind of gaining momentum. The idea that deficits really don't matter at all is is gaining a lot of popularity. So I just don't see how they can allow this party to end uh, in general. So this means, yes, from a rural perspective, from a rural rate perspective, you're looking at um, you know uh, devaluation and sort of fiat or currencies in general. Um, is it Armageddon? Is it sort of wheelbarrows full of dollars, uh, buying a loaf of bread? No, I don't think so. I don't subscribe to any of that. Uh, I think, in general, the world now is um, uh, sort of coordinated in sort of devaluing their currencies in general, and and you'll see this reflected in hard assets. Obviously, Bitcoin is um, you know is an example. Gold is uh, probably a better example because it has an established intrinsic value, uh, and you'll see it reflected there. I think Bitcoin, in general, is not is not rising because the dollar is falling, even though people on Twitter love to talk about, uh, you know, the dollar fell. So Bitcoin's up. No, I mean, Bitcoin's finding, it's, it's in price discovery mode and finding its value. There's
1: more to do, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, 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 really, it's really about Bitcoin going up, whereas dollar down. But gold is a, is a better reflection of that um, and other hard assets as well. I mean, look at real estate around the world and land prices, for example. Bill Gates. Yeah. And I think there's just going to be more and more of that asset price, um, you know, uh, continue to expand rapidly. So you want to be invested in these hard assets. Uh, You you want to have assets that you can own, that can't be confiscated, that can't be taken, that you have title to, that you have a deed to. And um, I think as long as you have those assets, you at least if, if we're talking about inflation, you're protected. Right, because um whatever whatever inflation we see will be reflected in the prices of those assets. Um so in terms of like my plan or my my plan specifically, well, I mean I'm a, I've already reached a point where, you know, I'm more in I wouldn't call it sort of defensive mode or protection mode, but you know, I just going to be perfectly honest. I mean, I've made You're what I need to, to retired. make. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of what I'm doing out of passion. And um know just out of enjoyment more than anything else and i live a fairly realistic existence in general you know i don't drive fast cars i don't like big flashy homes i have a you know what i consider to be a nice home here in new york city and you know and and i kind of rent what i need wherever i want to go i'm not into owning uh multiple yeah i'm not into spending a lot of money for the for the sake of uh sort of showing that i'm content with what i have so i don't need a lot is what i'm saying and um, I don't have uh, an interest in building a dynasty for my children necessarily. They, I think they can work for it like, uh, like I did, and like my parents did as, uh, as immigrants who came, uh, who went to Australia with nothing. And besides, you know, a small bag of, of, uh, of clothes and you know the promise of a new job, a new future and a job. So, you know, uh, just to that point, it's more just about protecting what I have and hard assets, I think provides that while at the same time looking for these, you know, the, that's, that's what Bitcoin attracted me to, finding these sort of asymmetrical, really skewed asymmetrical opportunities where I can risk, uh, risk enough where it doesn't hurt me if I'm wrong, but um, really re- be rewarding if I'm right. And um, I think that's really the approach in general, even for somebody that's sort of not set, I think in general, not looking Uh, for the next big thing, always constantly, you know, the feeds on on social media and jumping in and out of things, and just taking it much, much slower. And finding setups that really resonate with your style, and executing perfectly on those is way more important. And that goes from a trading standpoint, but also from an investing standpoint, Um, just being really patient in general, and making decisions on your own terms. I like to say that a lot on Twitter and in my private service, that you really have to pull the trigger when you want to pull the trigger and not feel compelled to do so for other external factors and sources. And I think that's very important for, to, to success.
1: What a beautiful way to say, I'm aging. I'm <laughs> getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aging, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I
2: yeah, mean, yeah. look, I, I, you know, you will learn from experience, really. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I've blown accounts in my 20s on the dot com bubble. Uh, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I still make a lot of mistakes. And a lot of what I do doesn't always work. It's just but, you know, I just don't let it hurt me as much as possible. And, um, and, I, and I do it most of the times looking back saying I probably wouldn't have done too much different as well. And I mm-hmm. think that's the place you want to kind of get to.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I can perfectly confirm that, you know, uh, although I'm definitely, you know, just not, ex- not as experienced as you are. And that's what I've, uh, as I said, for, for all your insights that you actually share, I value so much, first of all, you the fact of your being here, but also for the, all the tips that you're sharing, you know, for the younger generations, because many people after hearing, you know, your thoughts are probably going to, to, to get converted to actual saying, you know, what matters in the money. And what matters in the money is not endless increasing the risk. It's not endless, you know, just buying and searching and waiting for the next 100x leverage, sort of like position, right? Or over the time, over, well, as long as as uh, as long as your equity also uh, curve goes up, you know, the less risk you need. And actually, the more protective mode you need over your portfolio, because 10% slide, for example, of 1 billion is going to cost you 100 billion, right? right so those right. are the big money that you're actually losing on the market Proves you're wrong, so the bigger money involved uh, the the more actually sort of like control over the risk there needs to be so I perfectly understand what you are sharing and this is um, a very strong and powerful message that uh that I also want to you know just resonate well with all the viewers and listeners so knowing uh knowing of your of your sort of like experience bob and uh and what what you've been sharing recently about you know, crude oil, about the commodities as a whole, about gold. Uh, could you give us a very quick, quick uh, notes and message about silver? What do you think about silver?
2: Well, so silver is at, so I think gold is a few years now into its next secular bull market run. I think it's pausing here and could consolidate for most of the year silver is playing is at that phase in the gold bull market where it's now going to begin to play a little catch up and um, we see this in, we've seen this in other bull markets for gold where you know the primary asset in an asset class with the beginning of a of a of a bull market will typically get uh, the lion's share of the of the inflow the capital that comes in and the accumulation begins there and then what happens is when that price appreciates and gets a little ahead of itself, new entrants that come in are not as sophisticated, and they start to say, well, it's it's already overpriced, it's already gone up so much, but what about the cousin, right? And, and we see this also in, in crypto where so Bitcoin makes its run, and then the dominance begins to fall at the latter part of a bull market where people start to look for more speculative names, And we're in a similar sort of point now in the the gold-silver sort of ratio where it's beginning to come down. And silver, I believe, will dramatically outperform gold now over the next few years and may also in the short term in 2021 uh, decouple from gold. So I can see gold possibly moving sideways or mostly trending sideways this year while silver detaches and begins to make a run because it's still – you know it's still a double away from its all time high that was set a decade ago and that same level was set obviously with the hunt brothers back you know 40 years ago now so it has a lot of room to play and a lot of catch up and, I, and i've been talking about silver on twitter uh, obviously in my financial tap service as well for 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 a couple of years but ever since it sort of it, it flushed out in march last year uh, i think that's been this that that is the start of its next trend and i think it can hit and make a run to 50 over the next probably two weekly cycles, which is a year to maybe 18 months. I think it's gonna make a move like that. So I'm bullish on silver. Um and you know, I, I think there's opportunity there for sure.
1: Amazing. Amazing. I'm well invested in silver. actually I'm actually planning to uh to to equip myself with uh with a bit more, with a bit more silver in the as the as the next day's show, hopefully. Um same with gold, you know, I I definitely just uh, know what we know for sure about silver is that it, it moves rally, but when it moves, it moves very fast and yes. it moves very strong, right? And, yes. uh, and when it pumps, it really behaves like the sort of like cryptocurrencies, you know, on steroids as well. It does. And yes, and uh, especially, you know, those, you know, 2010, 11, the, the peak, you know, the 2012 confirmation, whatever, to the bear market on silver, and that it lasted, you know until two thousand and fifteen when it started actually just going sideways for for a couple of years, for six, seven years. I mean, this was all going and happening uh, when the dollar was actually much stronger than it than it is right now today. And um, by by the dollar, I mean the actual value, you know the the actual sort of like, Aggregated inflation over the time. We know perfectly, just like you said, that you know, dollar over the hundred years, over the last hundred years, it lost like about 95% of the entire sort of like buying power, right? That's the real measure of the inflation as well. And knowing that this is a direction, the big influx of demand can actually spike up the price very fast on silver. And you never know when it comes, uh, unless you are Bob Lucas and you are master, you know, with with psycho theory. Right? But uh but you know the main the main message that I also want to want to equip people with is, uh, guys, you don't need to go for 100x. You don't need to learn and pretty much like learn only about what gives you 10x positions, what gives you 10x within this in a day or in a week or in a month. Uh, hard assets like like Bob and I shared are apparently the ones that are going to matter more and more over the time. Just look at what Bill Gates that just did, right? Uh, I may not necessarily you know, just agree with, with his overall personal beliefs and the directions and what he's doing. But uh, from the investment point of view, we need to copy pretty much like what big Marty does, right? And the, he just bought, he just became officially the largest landowner, right, a farm landowner in the US as far as I recall. And uh, hard assets, this is going to matter within the next years. Mm-hmm. So uh, apparently, I want to sort of like uh, leave all of our uh, viewers and listeners, uh, with the with following the custom that we always have on the next show, and Bob, uh, this is your place right now, if you if you will, uh, if it's not if it's not a secret, of course, uh, of the master tip, of the final thought, the final most important tip, the takeaway message that you would like to leave our listeners with.
2: God, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. It, it all depends on sort of where you are. Um, let me think about this. You know, I I, I think just in general, psychology in trading is 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 the one area where the, the it's probably the biggest lever, you know, of uh, of performance that is underappreciated and, and utilized. And it's probably the last thing that I I began to really focus on through more sort of stoic reading and so on. But I think just, you know, who you are behind that keyboard and that mouse and what you're feeling and what you're doing and the actions you're making and why you're making certain actions at certain times is lost on most traders Um, because they're in the thick of things. They don't sort of divorce themselves from the action. Uh, And they think kind of uh, with their emotions or they act with their emotions as opposed to acting to any sort of plan. And that's because often, you know, they're doing it for maybe the wrong reasons, whether they're you know addicted to to the action and the adrenaline. Um, But just in general, I mean, you know, that's a long way of sort of saying you just need to know yourself a little more and focus more on the elements of, uh, of of psychology and emotions in trading. I think that's a big part of uh, where a lot of alpha is sort of left uh, on the table and where a lot of the mistakes come from. If you, I mean, look, any trader listening to this or anybody that's investing who listens to this could probably agree that all of their mistakes were probably made because they acted in the heat of the moment and made some really poor decisions that cost them significantly. And they weren't because they picked the wrong chart or the wrong, you know, the, the, the wrong strategy. It's because they made a mental error and a mental mistake. And I think that's probably it. Uh, if I had to sort of say one thing.
1: I love it. I love it. Those are, uh, beautiful words. Those are very important words. Uh, we can also wrap it, wrap it, you know, under sort of like finding your own strength. If I read well, what you shared, uh, finding learning about your strengths and weaknesses, and actually, learning about you know the behavioral finance, the behavioral psychology, what uh, makes you follow the perception biases, right? Yeah. And yes. Yeah. This is this is uh, this must have been probably one of the best podcasts I've ever had, uh, one of the best educational sort of like materials and component for a lot of people who are going to listen to that. So, with having said that, I truly want to appreciate your time generosity. Your, your wealth, uh, sort of like of knowledge that you are just sharing with us today. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, what can I say more? Trader, entrepreneur, investor, committee to Bitcoin life, and the head of the financial tab, Bob Lucas has been my and our guest today. Thank you for, for coming over. It was a oh, Thank you for your time.
2: And thank you to your listeners. I wish you all the very best. And I do appreciate your time.
1: Amazing. Until the next one, guys. Cheers. Globe is an upcoming crypto derivatives exchange offering up to 100 times leverage on crypto and
0: DeFi perpetual contracts. Sign up for early rewards at burpnest.comslash globe. DeFi Click democratizes the lending market by offering both collateralized and uncollateralized loans to everyone with cross chain interoperability through Polkadot. For more information, visit the DeFi Click. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining this episode of The Nestro. If you've appreciated the depth and breadth of what you've heard with us today, subscribe to our podcast and find our landing page at theburbnest.com. We have a vibrant Discord community which acts as our central hub of operations, and we welcome you to join us at theburbnest.com slash Discord. We also offer an extensive free bulletin on emerging crypto market trends, exclusive undervalued gem reports, and in-depth expert technical and fundamental analysis at TheBirdNest.com slash bulletin. We always appreciate engagement from our community, which of course means liking the video and subscribing to our page, where we insist on bringing you the highest quality content available. Also, we're happy to incorporate tips and topics from our listeners and encourage you to email us at thenestro@theburbnest.com. at the burbnest.com. This podcast is brought to you by The Burbnest. Nest. Thank you and trade on.